This is an ABC podcast. You can't get anything. Your life's gone. But all you want is an acknowledgement. All you want is a sorry. A decades-old case is reopening after the New South Wales Supreme Court orders a judicial review into the convictions of the so-called Croatian Six. Hi, Damien Carrick here. This is The Law Report. In 1981, six men, all migrants from what was then Yugoslavia, were sentenced to 15 years prison for planning a series of terror attacks across Sydney. In ordering the inquiry, Justice Robertson Wright said that there are, quote, doubts or questions about the evidence used to convict the men. Justice Wright said a key prosecution witness may well have been a Yugoslav government agent who deliberately framed the six accused. It's not just me. It's not just Joseph. It's not the Croatian six. It's more. It scarred my kids, it scarred me, and even when I talk about it, and it's like taking off a Band-Aid off a wound, the kids bleeding. Lydia Parec, the former wife of Joe Kokotovic, one of the Croatian six, we'll hear more from her later. Veteran investigative journalist Hamish MacDonald has written two books about the case, and his work was cited in the decision of the Supreme Court. He says it looks as though the acknowledgement that Lydia and the other families are seeking might finally be on its way, more than four decades after the lives of six young men were forever changed in February 1979. Well, the Croatian six were at the time six young Yugoslav immigrants, nearly all of them naturalised Australians, working as tradesmen in Sydney and, uh, in one case, Lithgow. And they were all uh, activists against the Yugoslav government, as were many members of the Croatian community. So they were known to be opponents of the Tito government in Belgrade and were prominent in a number of demonstrations against Yugoslav-linked um, events. Now, back in early February 1979, another member of the Croatian community, Mr Vitsor Vikas, walked into a New South Wales police station and gave them some alarming news. What news was that? Vico Vikas was working up in Lithgow, uh, along with Max Bebic, one of the six. Anyway, uh, in that on that day in February 1979, he walked into the Lithgow police station and said he was part of a plot to plant bombs across Sydney later that night, but he had grave misgivings and he wanted to inform the police so that they could prevent these atrocities happening. And from that, there was a police raiding party came up to Lithgow to arrest him and Max Bevich, and... In Sydney that night, several teams of CIB detectives fanned out and arrested a number of other known activists in the Croatian community. One of those activists was Joe Kokotovic. Lydia Parec is Joe's former wife. In February 1979, Lydia was eight months pregnant and putting her two-year-old to bed when police raided the Sydney home where they lived with Joe's extended family. 
I could hear this sort of ruckus banging at the door and the door was broken down and next minute I knew there was this tall uh, man in a suit pointing a gun at me. He was starting to search through my things and I'd gone out into the hallway and we were all in the hallway and there were all these people, like men with suits, and we didn't know who they were. Nobody said they had a warrant. It wasn't, you know, nobody said anybody was arrested. It was just chaos. So this must have been uh, very distressing for you and your daughter. Well, it was because I was eight and a half months pregnant. So I was ready to give, you know, birth. And we were sort of getting ready for to have another child. So, yes, it was very. And Joe was arrested? There was no arrest as such as you think of arrest, you know, I'm going to read you your rights and stuff like that. Basically, they were put in the car and we just followed to the front on the road. And I went to the car that my husband was put in uh, with my daughter on my hip and I walked to that car. They put him in. And I had uh, one of the men tell me that uh, my daughter is going to be a grown woman by the time she sees her daddy again. Your husband at the time, Joe Kokotovic, he became known as one of the, the Croatian Six. What activity or political activity had he been engaged in prior to the 8th of February 1979? The Well... Well, I suppose you can call it political activity. We were in a community, Croatians coming from Yugoslavia, a communist country, were nationalistic, they were Catholic. We were in a sort of very close-lit community. Everybody had personal experience, well, our parents did, personal experience, what communism all is all about. So uh, very, uh, I suppose, anti-communism and and that's not really political it's it's more you know how you were sort of you know your parents were treated if you're not part of the communist party so the community had that sort of feeling about communism and what activities was joe involved with before the 8th of february 1979 well, we went to demonstrations like all Croatians did. They had a sort of, you know, a very sort of anti-Yugoslav um, attitude. Were they actively working to, to overthrow the Yugoslav government in Belgrade? No. No, they were demonstrating because that's what you do in Australia. You demonstrate, you bring attention to it. So they weren't um, working in any, they weren't doing anything which would be regarded as illegal by Australian authorities? No. No, none of us were. In 1981, the Croatian Six were put on trial. At 172 sitting days, it was one of the longest trials ever in New South Wales history. The prosecution evidence had two central planks. One was the evidence of 39 police witnesses, which focused on what they found in the raids and the confessions they obtained from the six accused. The other plank was the evidence of Vico Virquez. Virquez said that he'd 
confessed to the police or said that he was just uh, another member of the community who felt it had gone too far and wanted to pull the plug on this uh, bomb plot. Uh, he gave the names of a number of these other Croatians as being implicated. He did show the police some crude gelignite bombs made of uh, sticks of gelignite, alarm clocks and detonators and so on that were placed in his car in Lithgow ready to be driven down to Sydney that night. So it looked like, you know, there was some evidence, at least in Lithgow. And then, of course, the uh, CIB detectives who went out to addresses around Sydney claimed that in each of them they found um, two half sticks of gelignite and some wiring and uh, an alarm clock in one case. And they brought that back. None of that uh, gelignite was ever produced in the court, and certainly it wasn't fingerprinted at the time. And the six supposedly gave confessions to New South Wales police. Now, at the trial, uh, at this jury trial, the longest in, I think, in the history of New South Wales, the defence said, look, what did they argue about Verkes and what did they argue about these these confessions supposedly given to, to New South Wales police? Well, firstly, about Verkes, they wanted to probe exactly who he was because he was a very mysterious man and he, in his address book that was produced in court, he had the number of the Yugoslav Consulate General in Sydney. He claimed he'd only rung it up to abuse them. But there were suspicions raised and the defence tried to subpoena both New South Wales Special Branch and Federal Agency uh, files on Viaquez and on, uh, on the defendants. These subpoenas were denied on public immunity grounds by the judge, uh, Justice Victor Maxwell, just as the trial was getting underway. Uh, it seems, however, that Maxwell did not know what was in those files. He just accepted assurances that uh, revealing this material could damage national security or endanger sources of these security agencies. I understand that the defence said, look, these six confessions, they were beaten out of our clients, that they were not freely given. The defendants arrested in Sydney were taken back to the old CIB headquarters close at the back of the Central Magistrates Court the same night and kept there for several hours. They all alleged that they were bashed, you know, with and strangled with um, folded up, twisted towels, had uh, in one case had a motorcycle helmet um, placed on his head and then that was bashed with sticks and so on. Um, that was contested by the police, uh, just said no, nonsense, it was all voluntary. But in one case, that of Vic Brajkovic, uh, he reported himself to the uh, clinic at Long Bay Jail after that interrogation and both uh, the doctors and nurses from that clinic testified that he showed signs of a very severe bashing. And that um, meant that his alleged confession, unsigned, was rejected by Justice Maxwell. However, the fact that that had been rejected, offered and rejected, was not made known to the jury. And 
the word of the same police that they had found material, the gelignite at Bratchkovich's house, was allowed to be um, produced to the court without the jury knowing that the same police had lied about the, uh, about the interrogation. Um, none of the Sydney confessions were signed. They were all the old uh, system known as verbals, where the police type out a transcript of what is allegedly said, and then they call in a senior police officer to test it, to attest that it was a genuine uh, record of the conversation. So the jury are satisfied beyond reasonable doubt that the six are guilty and they are ultimately sentenced, I think, to each to 15 years jail, of which I think they served seven or eight ultimately before being allowed out on parole. They always protested their innocence. Can you walk me through over the years some of the question marks which have emerged Many of them as a result of journalists like yourself uh, working and digging in this area. There are many of them, but can you walk me through the major question marks which have emerged? Yes, indeed. Well, um, of course, Roger Rogerson, within a few years, he was one of the arresting officers, but he was kicked out of the police and then later jailed for um, perjury and perverting the course of justice uh, from recollection. Those convictions for perjury and perverting the course of justice, they didn't relate to the Croatian Six. But then in 1991, Roger Rogerson gives an extraordinary TV interview where he said police frequently verbal people, fabricated evidence and, quote, loaded people up to secure convictions. And then much later again in 2016, he was actually found guilty of murder, wasn't he? Oh, yes, much later. You then had 1991, Chris Masters in the Four Corner Program went to Yugoslavia and found Viko Virkes, the main Crown witness, who completely recanted his evidence on camera, saying he'd made it all up and he thought all the six were probably not guilty except maybe some minor minor charges. Uh, He said he'd been coached by the New South Wales police and threatened if he didn't stick to the the story. Police told me in the very beginning that Vico Verquez had a new identity and was hidden away somewhere where he'd never be found. But that's not the case. It's been a long road, it's taken 12 months to travel, and it's carried us to the other side of the world. But Vico Verquez has been found. So Chris Masters from Four Corners tracks down Vico Vikes and it transpires that he's not even Croatian. He's actually a Serbian Yugoslav. Yes. Um, Vikes, or uh, had also another name, Misimovic, um, was a Serbian from the Serbian part of Bosnia and of Orthodox um, origin rather than Catholic like the Croats. So he'd been masquerading as a Croat while in Australia, while he infiltrated um, anti-Belgrade circles. Now, when he he testified, he was given a very light sentence and allowed to return home. Uh, He was given a Yugoslav passport in Sydney, flew back and was not punished for any um, uh, anti-regime activities in Australia. So the Yugoslavs exonerated him, in fact, knew who he was. Anyway, he went back to his village and continued uh, life as a small farmer in that part of Bosnia, where he died in 2014. Meanwhile, back in Australia, what was understood about 
police abuses during that period back in the late 70s, early 80s also evolved? 1996, you had the Wood Royal Commission report on the police showing that there was what Justice Wood called uh, process corruption involved in uh, particularly the CIB squads where they believed someone was guilty and so they manufactured evidence to, uh, to fit them up. Then a uh, bit of a hiatus until um, 2007 in uh, the Balibo inquest, one of the former Prime Minister's Department lawyers, uh, Ian Cunliffe, who had also been a lawyer with the Hope Royal Commission into the intelligence services, was talking about the Balibo affair. And as an aside, he said that he'd come across a previous case of or another case of vital evidence being withheld. And he said this was a criminal case in in Sydney. So I uh, found out that was the Croatian Six case and then began to investigate that myself. By then, there was a lot of information coming out about the nature of the Yugoslav um, secret uh, intelligence service, the UDBA, and how they had operated against the Croatian diaspora around the world. Uh, and also, uh, Mr. Cunliffe was more willing to speak than he had been earlier. So I put this together in a short ebook and uh, report for the Herald. And then finally, um, in 2016, the final volume of the official history of ASIO came out, written by two eminent uh, military historians at the ANU, and they concluded that the having looked at all the ASIO files without restriction, they concluded that the Croatian Six had been a victim of a miscarriage of justice. So that set me off on a third attempt to unravel this case, and I made applications through the National Archives of Australia for access to the ASIO material on which the two historians had made that judgment. And eventually in early 2018, I was given the ASIO file with a number of small redactions about Vico Vierquez. And that showed that ASIO had been tracking his contact with the official at the Consulate General in Sydney, whom they suspected of being the main UDBA officer in Sydney, for about six months. And UDBA was the, the Yugoslav? Yeah, the Yugoslav Intelligence Service. And he had been reporting to them uh, and tipped them off about the arrests and bomb plot. And at it immediately after the arrest, ASIO briefed the New South Wales Police and other agencies that Vierkes appeared to be an agent of the Yugoslav intelligence service. And the, the, the real gist of the new stuff in my book that I published then, uh, Reasonable Doubt, and on which um, a Sydney barrister has partly mounted a new attempt to get a, a review of the convictions, which has succeeded now. It's an extraordinary story. So, so now the the judge has said, "Look, there will be a judicial inquiry. That judicial inquiry can't 
quash the convictions, but it can, what, um, request the Court of Criminal Appeal to relook at the convictions? Yes. Um, the judge who reviews the case will have the powers of a royal commission, so it'll be a very powerful inquiry and a very, very extensive. The judge, he or she, can then either send the findings directly to the Chief Justice or to the Court of Criminal Appeal to uh, make a finding whether the convictions should stand, should be quashed, or whatever. That's probably an unlikely thing that there'd be a any kind of retrial at this stage, 40 years later, and Vico Vieques died eight years ago and he was the principal Crown witness. I suspect it would go to the Chief Justice, uh, Andrew Bell, and he would then have to probably forward the recommendations of the judge to the state governor. Hamish MacDonald, why do you think, given that there are so many question marks over so many years, raised by, by yourself, raised by, by Chris Masters from Four Corners when he went to, um, to what was then Yugoslavia and interviewed Vico Verkes, why do you think um, the, the courts just couldn't entertain, couldn't, couldn't see that there were questions that needed to be addressed with these convictions? I think it was just a defensiveness of the whole judiciary and the police system that they couldn't believe how deeply that they'd been deceived by this foreign intelligence agency and how that all jumped at the bait. There was also an enormous amount of prejudice against Croatians generally, uh, that they were you know, just you know, still following a wartime fascist movement, that they were bomb throwers and a dangerous element and extremists. I mean, an awful lot of prejudice that that the Yugoslav intelligence agency had cultivated. And then we hadn't seen the breakdown of Yugoslavia that happened in the, towards the middle of the 1990s with so many atrocities among the ethnicities. Later on, I just think a defensiveness and a unwillingness to rock the boat. There are um, questions of, well, if they are uh, exonerated, then we'll have to pay millions in compensation and who cares, um, water under the bridge type of thing. Uh, it's not how the British handled the Birmingham Six or the Guildford Four, two similar cases involving Irish defendants during the IRA bombings. It's, it's a rather sad mark up to now on um, New South Wales and Australia generally. But uh, hopefully now we can redeem that. And what was the impact that this this case has had on on the men, their families, and, and the broader Australian Croatian community? Well, it was devastating. They were all men in their late twenties and early thirties, so deprived of their most productive years. In a couple of cases, there were marriages uh, with young children, and the marriages broke up. One or two have been, I think, mentally scarred by the experience. Others have managed to put it beyond them and move on and rebuild their lives. Mile Nekic, one of them, learned how to paint um, in Long Bay Jail in art classes and became a successful painter. Um, but um, 
you know, it's devastating. And then beyond that, their families were felt slurred by, you know, having this criminal conviction. The whole community felt tainted. There are 200,000 um, Croatian Australians and they all feel like they've been slandered by this, by this plot. I asked Lydia Parach what impact the investigation, the trial and the prison time had on her then-husband, Joe Kokotovic, and also on their young family. I can tell you what impact it had on me because there's six people, but there's other people involved. I can tell you what impact it had on my children. I can tell you what impact it must have had on my unborn child. That's what I can tell you. I understand his his emotions and he would have had them, but I can only tell you what I felt. And what did you experience? Overwhelmed, uh, lost. I had intense grief. My whole world fell apart. I had the support of uh, my husband was gone. Our future was gone. Um, and I couldn't understand it. It was surreal. I couldn't understand it. And I tried to work. Um, I tried to make a, a sort of living for my children. It was a very long process. The impact on us was horrendous. At one stage, I had to rely on social benefits and there was a lot of strikes then and you'd have your check in the mail and sometimes it didn't come. And at times I didn't have food. And presumably also a huge impact on, on Joe as well. Yes. And how long was Joe in jail for? He was sentenced to 15 years, 10 years, non-parole. He was in jail for eight years because of good behaviour. And did you resume life as a family after that? No. And are you still uh, on good terms with your former husband? Yes. Yes, I am. Yes, I am. We've got two children together, four grandchildren. What do you hope for from this judicial inquiry? I want an acknowledgement of the wrong that's been done. And it's not only wrong for my ex-husband. It's wrong for my daughters and their daughters because this has scarred us. When my baby was born, I was in so much grief. I couldn't give her the attention that she deserved. I couldn't give my two-year-old attention. And so the impact, the impact is more, it's not just me, it's not just Joseph, it's not the Croatian Six, it's more. It scarred my kids, it scarred me, and even when I talk about it, it's like taking off, and I've, you, you lock it away, and it's like taking off a Band-Aid off a wound that keeps bleeding. And what do you want from it? You can't get anything, your life's gone. But all you want is an acknowledgement all you want is a sorry because you you watch your back, you're not secure, you don't think that, oh, okay, you know, if you're right, you will be always vindicated, but it doesn't happen. 
Lydia Perec, the former wife of Joe Kokotovic, one of the Croatian six. Before her, you heard from former Sydney Morning Herald journalist Hamish MacDonald, author of two books on the Croatian six, Framed from 2012, and also Reasonable Doubt, Spies, Police and the Croatian Six from 2019. That's the Law Report for this week. A big thank you to producer Christina Kokolia and also to technical producer Matthew Crawford. I'm Damien Carrick. Talk to you next time with more law. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.